0: Okay, grab your Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy chapter one. 2 Timothy chapter one. Um, it's, kind of a, it's kind of an odd thing that, that uh, October 31st lands on our prayer ministry night. People might be tempted to say, why are you canceling prayer? Oh, thank you. Thank you for asking that question and thank you for, for being that person that's gonna work our prayer tent this Tuesday night, Um, be praying for souls. What are you doing, celebrating Halloween? That's not what we're doing, we're fishing. We're going fishing this Tuesday. Man, we're gonna pass out hundreds, thousands of gospel tracts, we're gonna gonna pray, we're gonna trust God for open doors. We wanna preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and so we need your help to do that. I said this last week, Um, I'll mention it again. I'm not gonna, this'll be the first uh, harvest festival, trunk or treat, whatever you want to call it. This, this is our first MBT fishing, uh, fall fishing expedition that I haven't been able to be a part of. My nephew's getting married on Tuesday night. That gives you insight into my family. Pray for us. <laughs> I'll be at a wedding. All right. Um, oh, the other thing that uh, might be worth mentioning, the streetcar, uh, Main, Main and 39th Street is going to be blocked off right there. So... You you might want to keep that in mind for this Tuesday. All right, let's pray, and then let's get to work in the Word. Father, we love you, Lord. Thank you for this opportunity that we have to be able to, without distraction, freely, uh, Lord, uh, to study your Word together. What a privilege it is. God, we don't want to be guilty of wanting to find out things about the Bible alone. We want to know what Your Word says so that we can reorder, we can reprioritize our lives to follow Your instruction. Lord, we want to be equipped for the work that You've called us to, and so God, we're asking for Your help this morning. Uh, Lord, I, I pray that You'd take the weakness of my flesh and You'd set that aside, and, and Lord, the, Your Word, the power of Your Holy Spirit, God, that it would speak to us this morning not because I or any of us deserve it, but because we belong to you through Jesus Christ, our Lord, because you deserve to get all the glory out of our lives. And so, Lord, we just confess that we need you this morning. We pray that you'd help us, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so just quick review. In verses one and two, we saw the introduction. We saw the to and the from. And then in verse three, we saw our need to have a pure conscience where the body of Christ is concerned, verse three, he says, I thank God, whom I serve from my forefathers with a pure conscience that without ceasing, I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. And we saw that a great way to have that clear conscience is that we're praying for one another. And then in verse four, we saw that we had a need to be in real, healthy relationships. Paul says to Tim, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy and then verse five, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded that in thee also. So we saw our third point from this section is our need for an unfeigned faith. Why? Why do we need to have a real unfeigned faith? Well, because people try to fake faith all the time. And that brings us to verses six and seven. Paul really kicks off the letter now. And he just jumps into a a higher gear and he reminds Timothy of this gift of God that he has and the strength that he has and the spirit of God. This brings us to the first of five divine directives in 2 Timothy chapter one. And so let's pick it up again in verse four. He's desiring to see Timothy. He's thinking about the relationship that they have together and seeing him will bring him joy. He's remembering Timothy's genuine faith. He says, I'm persuaded that it's in you. Verse five. So here's the command. Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. So point number four, we as well, we too need to know how to stir up the gift that God has placed in us. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter one, keep a finger here in 2 Timothy. We need to know how to stir up the gift that is in us and that might beg the question, what gift? What gift? Did I get a present and I didn't know about it? So get this down in your notes. Every believer, if you're born again, you are gifted by God. And I want you to just think about everything that we've seen here in 2 Timothy chapter one and I want you to notice how Paul starts his letter to the church in Corinth. We made this case last week. It parallels what we're seeing here in 2 Timothy chapter 1. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse one, you got, the, you got the from Paul, the apostle to, verse two, the church of God, which is at Corinth. Verse three, I mean everything just tracks right down the line, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. So here he gives thanks just like he does for Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter one. Next he encourages the growing faith just like he does Timothy. Verse five, that in everything you are enriched by him in all utterance and in all knowledge. Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, you have a genuine faith. Here it is, verse seven. Here's the command for them to stir up the gift. Verse seven, so that ye are come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you unto the end, that ye may be what? Blameless. Did you guys turn to 1 Corinthians chapter one? I asked for the answer and two people gave me the word. That ye may be what? Blameless. How am I blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ? Verse seven says, come behind in no gift. While you're waiting for the return of the Lord for you, make sure that you don't come behind in terms of your gift. God is faithful by whom you were called unto fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So get this down, this is critical. What we see is that the proper use of your gifting, it's actually critical regarding reward at the judgment seat of Christ that you may be blameless, 1 Corinthians 1 says, in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we did our 2 Thessalonians study, when we got to chapter 2, the day of Christ, or the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, we ran our cross-references, and we found out that this is a term for the judgment seat of Christ. This is a day where you find out whether you have run or labored in vain. This is a day where you find out whether or not you have fruit. Is everybody with me so far? Uh, If you need to catch up on that, you can, all, all the second... Thessalonians chapter two messages are online. Proper use of your gifting is critical in terms of your reward at the judgment seat of Christ. Now again, we started this section with the question what gifts, you know, you know, what presents, what, what gifts do I have from the Lord and how can I be sure that I'm not getting behind in their use? Again, 1 Corinthians verse seven says, don't get behind, the judgment seat's coming. You need to be using, you need to be actually laying hold of this gifting. In chapter seven, verse seven says that every man hath this proper gift of God. Everybody is included, one after this matter and another after that. In first Corinthians chapter seven, it's talking about gifting in terms of the state of marriage. And Paul's whole point in first Corinthians chapter seven is, is you've got, you know, everybody has a different gifting, but the whole point is use that, use your marriage, for the mission. Better use it, whether you're single or whether you're married, you better use that state. Married or single, use it for the mission. Let's see if we can follow a trend here. There's the gift of salvation. Did you know you had that gift? The gift of salvation? How many can say with me this morning, Pastor, I'm so grateful for the free gift of salvation that God has given me in my life. Can you raise your hand? Man, if not, we wanna meet with you after service and we wanna show you how to receive the free gift of God's salvation. John chapter four verse one, Jesus answered and said unto her, if thou knewest, here's, here's what it's called, the gift of God, and who it is that saith unto thee, give me drink, thou wouldest have thou asked of him, and he would have given thee a gift. What is it? Of living, given thee living water. Romans 5.18 describes it this way, therefore as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Adam said, hence we are born in the likeness and the image of our greatest father, Adam. Father in the flesh, Adam. And we inherited a sin nature. And now we enter into condemnation with him. Even so by the righteousness of one, this is talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. So what do we do with that gift? Do we just get saved and sit? No, we better use that gift of salvation for the mission. In other words, the overwhelming case that scripture makes is that the born again believer is to live Christ. We are to live Christ. Our salvation should be working itself out of our lives. We better use it for the mission. What about the gift of the Holy Ghost? Man, when you get saved, you're sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise, the Bible says. Acts chapter 10, verse 45 calls it the gift of the Holy Ghost. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished that Gentiles were, were speaking in tongues, right? As many as, as many as came with Peter because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. What do you do with the gift of the Holy Ghost? Better use it for the mission, bro. Better, better, well, here's how, here's how the rubber gets on the road. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 in Romans chapter 12 talk about the gifts, plural, of the Spirit. There's the gift of the Spirit, but then there are the gifts of the Spirit. There's the gift of the Holy Ghost, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in your life, but then he comes with presence too. And you can sum it up this way, the usage of these gifts in in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit withal. Everybody in the body ought to be benefiting from the way that God's gifted you in the spirit. Better use that for the mission, right? Tell yourself, tell your neighbor. Better use it for the Lord. But what about the gift that Paul's talking about here concerning Timothy? I want you to notice how that Timothy receives this gift. Look at verse six. Stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on, Paul says, of my hands. So he has to stir up the gift of God that was now in him because Paul laid hands on him. This is what he's referring to in 1 Timothy 4, verse 14. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14, he says, neglect not, neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. The presbytery are the elders. And they said, Tim, you are gifted for the pastorate. And so they laid hands on him and conferred that gifting. You know, Paul and his associates, they identified themselves with young Timothy when they lay their hands on them. Tim, you're gonna do what we're doing. You know, in the Old Testament, when the Israelite brought his annual sacrifice, he laid hands on the sacrifice, and that symbolically identifies him with the lamb that's about to be slain. There was a transfer or an imputation of his sins to the animal, and then the animal was slain. It's, it's, it's identification. When Moses was about to pass, he brought young Joshua before the people and he lays his hands on Joshua and that indicates to the people that he is identifying Joshua as his successor. Numbers 27, 22 says, Moses did as the Lord commanded him. And he took Joshua and set him before Eleazar the priest and before all the congregation. And he, Moses, laid his hands upon him, Joshua, and gave him a charge as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses. So look at Deuteronomy 34, verse nine. Look at the result of Moses laying his hands on Joshua, identifying him as his, as his successor. And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom for, why, for Moses had laid his hands upon him and the children of Israel hearkened unto him as, as, and, and did as the Lord commanded Moses. He's full of the spirit of wisdom. He's leading God's people for God's glory. Why? Well, Moses identified him for that task. So this is what we're talking about. We're talking about Timothy's ordination for ministry. He was identified as being ordained for the ministry by the laying on of Paul's hands. It was simply Paul identifying Timothy as being called into the work of pastoral ministry. In other words, he's saying, with the laying on of hands on Timothy, I believe God's called and equipped and gifted Timothy for the work of the ministry. So here's Timothy now, he's ordained, he's a pastor. He's gifted of God, he's a gifted man and just, I mean, you may not be a pastor, but just like Timothy, you are gifted in different ways, in various ways, uh, one after this manner, another after another, I mean, you are gifted of God. James chapter 1, verse 17 says that those gifts are good. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights. Psalms 84, verse seven says the Lord, Right, the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Everything that we have as born-again Christians, it's from God. And he gives them to us, they're free gifts. There's no right to brag, there's no room to boast. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm gifted at leading people, aren't I awesome? No, you're just another idiot that God chose to bless with some insight, praise the Lord. Oh man, I'm, I'm I just giving is so easy for me. I'm just, so, I'm just so good at giving. No, you were gifted with that spiritual gift. It's not of you, it's not from you. It's because God had in his grace and his mercy, he gifted you with that. There's no bragging with the gifts of God. They're all, I mean, everything that we have, we've received it freely. The greatest thing Timothy had, or any believer has for that matter, is a relationship with God through his spirit. But what we're talking about here is Timothy's ministerial gift, right? How he's gifted to serve in the kingdom. And Paul's telling him to fearlessly use it. He tells him to stir up that gift. Stir up, that word stir up, is translated stir up in your King James Bible. It, it means to revitalize, it means to rekindle. In other words, it means to fan the flame. This gifting's like a little fire and you need to, you need to get that thing roaring. God gifted Timothy, but maybe Paul had heard that Timothy was, was going through a rough time. Maybe he in some way was neglecting that gift. He hadn't stirred it up. Maybe he hasn't fanned it into a, a raging flame. He's not developing or he's not utilizing that gift. I don't know, but Paul knew he needed to encourage him. Maybe some of you today are guilty of the exact same thing. You're not stirring up. You're not fanning the flame of your gifting. Paul says, say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord that thou fulfill it. Why, why does he tell him, get to work? Well, because Archippus was laying down on the job. He wasn't engaged in the work that God called him to. And so maybe this was just nothing more than a reminder for Timothy. Either way, here's the question on the floor this morning. Do you wanna get results out of your Christian life? Do you want the way that God gifted you for ministry to matter? Okay, maybe that was a rhetorical. I don't think it was a rhetorical question. You got to turn to your neighbor and say, bro, he's talking to you. Do you want your gifting to matter? Well, then you got to get radical. You got to get stirred up. You got to fan that flame and the world needs to see it burning. The old timers used to say it this way, get on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ and the world will come just to watch you burn. They'll just come to watch you burn. Say, how can I make a difference in ministry for the Lord? Get on fire for the Lord. Matthew 5, 14 says, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. Why do they put it on a candlestick and not on a bush, on a, under a bushel? Because it's stupid to put it under a bushel. Why would you light the candle in the first place? It's to help people see Put it on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. God help Christians that hide their candle. Don't hide it. Get it on the candlestick. Fan the flame. Burn yourself out for the cause of Christ. Is he worth it? You say, well, how how am I gonna stir up my gifting? How do I do it? Here's the key. Here's the answer. Use it. That's how you stir it up. Start using your gifting, everything from your salvation to the indwelling of God himself and you as his child, how he's gifted you spiritually, ministerially. Start using it. Don't just thank God for it and then sit on your sanctified keister. Don't just say, thank God I got a place in heaven and then just live your life for yourself on earth. Start using the way God wired you for his glory. Stir it up. Running waters are always stirring. Stagnant waters, what? Stagnant waters stink. Maybe do a sniff test right now. How do you smell? Like, like, like pond scum. Well, that's because you've just been setting on your sanctified can. You need to put it in motion. Start using it. Help us win souls. Help us make disciples. Help us train people to go and do the same. You say, how, How? I mean, how? It's real simple. Okay, I know what you need. You need a motto. Uh, Mottos help people keep things straight. We need a motto. You know what, Here's here's a good motto. Get this down. God blesses butts in motion. There's a motto. God blesses workers, right? There's a motto. Get on the path to spiritual growth. Learn your Bible. Learn how to use it in the lives of people. Start exercising your gifts in the faith. Here's a question, I don't think it's unreasonable. I really don't. Could this local church win, baptize and disciple 300 people over the next calendar year? Could we do it? You say, well, we've never done that. We've never won, baptized and discipled 300 people in a calendar year, that's impossible, said the, said the member that wasn't stirring up their gift. You know that We've got regularly over 700 people that attend this church every week. Week in, week out. Um, The Barna Group would say that means there's probably 900 people that call MBT their church home. And uh, normally that's because, well, in in a lot of churches, an average attendance of 700 would be like 1,400 people. But we actually have a high, it's because people attend like once a month, okay? We actually have a higher rate of attendance here at MBT. I'll I'll bet you, I'll bet you 800 to 1,000 people claim that this church is their local church, and we've never one baptized and discipled 300 people in a calendar year. And from that perspective, then 300's is impossible. Why? Well, yeah, it's impossible if we're squelching God's Spirit, if we're just leaving the gifts that God gives us, just leaving them lay. But we could easily do it if we had all engaged using how God wired us for his glory. How do you stir up the gift? You use it. Could we trust God for every member to actually be a minister over the next year, stirring up, using their gifting in faith, and trusting God, getting full of faith, trusting God that, he's gonna, that God's gonna use me, he's gonna use you to win souls and make disciples. Here's another one. Could we trust God to send at least 30 people out over the next calendar year to reproduce what we're doing? We can if we're all just sitting around calling ourselves Christians but being lazy. (laughs) Lord, help us. Could we trust God to send out at least 30 to reproduce what we're doing here? I mean, why not? How are we going to do that? You know the answer now. Tell your neighbor. Use your... Your gifting, we're not slow. I know this, I know you're getting this. Use your gifting, engage. You say, well I want to, I want to be part of God's mission. I want to be part of his vision for our church. But the truth is I'm afraid. Okay, now this is critical. This is a critical hinge in our message and in our lives. Fear quenches the gifting of God. That is a hardcore principle in scripture. It's all over your Bible. Matthew chapter 25, you've got a servant giving an account to his Lord why he wasted his time, why he's wasted his life, and here's what he says. Here's the excuse that he gives, verse 25. I was afraid and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast, there thou hast that is thine. What the Lord gifted him with, he had it, but it never multiplied for the king's glory. Get this down in your notes. Fear kills faith. Fear killed this servant's faith in his master, and so he didn't do anything. He just hid in fear. Being fearful, here in Matthew 25, is revealed as being wicked at his judgment seat. He says, I was afraid, and I went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast, that is thine. The Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, Thou knewest I reap where I sowed not and gathered where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to put my money with the ex- I mean, to the exchangers, at least put it in the bank where it can earn some interest. And then at my coming, I should have received mine own with usury. But well, let's face it, some of us, we're afraid to do it. We're afraid to engage. Okay, God's word has us covered there if we'll receive it. Verse six says, wherefore I will put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting out of my hands. You're gifted for the work. You can do it and here's why. Verse seven, God hath not given us a spirit of fear. What spirit did he give to us? A spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. So point number five in our study in this section, we must not be afraid to minister in faith. We can stir up our gifts for the ministry in faith because of verse seven. Right? We've got supernatural power. We've got supernatural strength. Supernatural resource. We can stir up our gifts for ministry. Right? We want to be stirred up, not shaken in fear. We don't want to have we don't wanna we don't wanna live in fear or be shaken by our circumstances. We don't wanna be afraid in the face of a lost world that's careening toward hell. We wanna we wanna be bold in our faith. Proverbs 29, 25 says, the fear of man bringeth a snare. <laughs> you get afraid of man. What is that? It's a trap, right? That, don't, don't fall for that. Joshua 1, 9, have I not commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage, and be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. Isaiah 43, verse 1, fear not, for I have redeemed thee, and I have called thee by, the, I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. Over and over, I mean, this is just, this is just, a, just a, 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 a tiny fraction of the promises over and over and over again in your Bible, how God is with his people. They should not fear. They should engage with him for his glory. So get this down. Fear, not only can it kill faith, but it can control you. It can stop you from fulfilling God's plan for your life. Get, fear can get such a grip on you that you're immobilized. Have you ever noticed that? Um, I'm a jerk, or at least I was. Uh, I was probably, I'm guessing, a junior in high school. My little brother, Tom, uh, my bedroom was down in the basement, and, uh, and I was downstairs and I noticed that my little brother, whenever mom would tell him to take clothes downstairs to the laundry, uh, he'd come, I'd hear him come down the stairs and he'd stop for a second and then he would run just full, tit, full tilt to the other end of the, the, the basement. It was a long basement. He'd run full tilt to the other end of the basement, throw the clothes at the washer and dryer and then run back. And uh, I'm like, huh, he's afraid of the dark in the basement. Well, I had this gorilla mask. And, uh, and so now I've got it at the ready and I'm waiting. And uh, I heard mom, a few days later, I, you know, Tom, take the laundry down. So I'm like, Whoa! I ran and I grabbed the, <laughs> I grabbed the gorilla mask and I, and I run down the hall, halfway down the basement and I hide in a storage room. And here comes my brother, comes down the stairs, he stops, like making sure the coast is clear and he runs down the basement. Well, as soon as he passes me, I've already got the gorilla mask on. I I step to the door of the uh, storage room. Now my little brother is just burning rubber back for the stairs and as he gets halfway to the basement, I just jump out in front of him with a big, I will be judged in heaven for that moment. (laughs) My little brother, I jump out in front of him with the roar, and he just goes. (laughs) He can't move, he can't, like. And so I realized, I think I'm killing him. I rip off the mask, and it's, it's me that ruptured our relationship. He was immobilized. He couldn't do anything. The fear had him. It had him in his grip. Uh, he's been lifting weights. He's been eating his protein. He is now a monster. I wouldn't try it today. Uh, don't get any ideas. It can immobilize you. Sometimes you go through you know, a traumatic experience and you're just unable to handle the thought of going through that again. Uh, I've heard of people that won't drive cars because of, or, you know, they can't do it because they were in a horrible car accident. They can't trust themselves to drive again. Here's where it typically lands for God's people. You can't share your faith with the lost because of a past bad, you know, bad experience, or fear of being despised, or a fear of losing a relationship, being rejected. God's not giving you the, if, if you're in the grip of fear, that's not from the Lord. Romans 8.15 says, we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. Again, it's a trap. But you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. You've escaped the trap of the lost world. You now have a place in your father's home. The spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit, the spirit of power and love and a sound mind. It beareth witness with our spirit that we're the children of God. So we can say along with the Apostle Paul in Hebrews 13.6, I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Hebrews 11.27 says that Moses forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of king. Why? Because God was with him. He endured as seeing him who is invisible. So here's the key. When, you know, what do you do? You're like, I, I can't help it, I'm still afraid. Well, what do you do when you face your fears? What do you do when you're being stabbed with fear? Ephesians 6.16 says above all, take the shield of faith. Taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Little kids are afraid of the dark. And uh, we, we teach them, you know, it's one of the first memory verses. So many little children will remember what time I am afraid. Maybe you didn't grow up scared as a kid. What do you do when you're afraid? You trust in him, don't you? You trust in the Lord. When I'm afraid, I will trust in thee. Grab the shield of faith. Believe God and tell the devil, the world and your filthy heart, that they're liars. You're a liar. I mean, why are, you, why are you stuck in fear if you've got the spirit of right thinking? I mean, have you ever read the last four chapters of your Bible, have you ever skipped to the end, find out how it all ends, find out who wins? God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. We're enabled to be the super agents of God's service without fear, no fear, why? God has given us the spirit of fearlessness. What is that? We need not be afraid because the spirit of God that's given to us is one of power and love and a sound mind. We don't have to cower in fear. We don't have to be in the grip of hate. We don't have to be in the grip of confusion. It's a spirit of power. In Matthew twenty-two twenty-nine, Jesus answered and said unto them, you do, you, you, you're making a mistake, you're messed up. Ye do err, not knowing the scriptures, nor the power of God. Okay, well, what's that power? You ever read Ephesians chapter one, verses 18 through 23, and see the reality of resurrection power? Resurrection power is the ultimate power, and you live your Christian life in that power, in resurrection power. Not even death can hold you anymore. You ever read 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the power of Christ for ministry? Paul sums it up this way in verses nine and 10. He said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, For my strength is made perfect in weakness, most gladly therefore will I rather glory in my infirmities, why? I'm nobody but God is somebody that that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So world, flesh, the devil, do your worst. Right, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. For me to live is Christ. What about Romans 1 verse 16? What about the power of the gospel? I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God. The power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. John chapter one verse 12 says, as many as received Jesus, as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Man, there's power in the gospel. There's power, saving power in the person, the finished work in the name of Christ. Whosoever calleth upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's power in knowing your destiny. How does Christ commission the church in Matthew 28? He comes to the disciples and he says all power. Not some power, not a little power. No, all power. All the power It's his. All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. So you go and do the job that I gave you. When souls make disciples, train them to do the same. Look at his promise. Lord, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world, amen. And so the disciples walked in that power. They believed God. They they lived in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. They lived in the power of the spirit that he gave them. And so in Acts chapter 4, verse seven, after they've healed this lame man in Jesus' name, the religious rulers come to them and ask, by what power or by what name have you done this? Did you know this morning that there is power in the name of Jesus? Uh, whenever I was a kid, I used to I used to love practicing divination. I loved telling people things, hidden things about them that they couldn't know that I know. Um, I thought I had this is how stupid I was. I thought I had a superpower. I thought I was an X man or something. And a family member said, "What are you doing?" And I'm like, "Ah, you know, it's a party trick <laughs> that you know I'm super good at." And uh, they're like, "I was using a pendulum." to get, I was just, the way I would do it is the pendulum would talk to me and I wouldn't say anything out loud. I would just think questions. I'd think questions about issues, situations, or people. I'd just think questions and the pendulum would talk to me. And uh, when it was waiting, right, whenever it was waiting for me to um, ask the next question, it would just kind of swing in a circle like that. And a family member said, that's demonic. That's, that's, that's no trick. That's no power. That's, that's actually a devil that's doing that. And I didn't believe her. And she says, well, if you really want to know, just command it to stop in Jesus' name and see what happens. And so I get my pendulum out. I'm thinking it's answering. And so then I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to tell it to stop in Jesus' name, and it will because I told it to stop. But in my head, what it was going to do, you know, Centrifugal force, entropy, you know, conservation of motion, all that being what it is, I figured it would just slowly wind down like that and it would stop. That thing's spinning in an arc, and I commanded it to stop in Jesus' name, and it immediately slammed to a drop dead center. Just quit moving. I dropped it, and I'm like, I repent, I'm done. <laughs> I will never do it again. I quit divination, but that familiar spirit. I mean, Ephesians 4.27, it's written to Christians. The Bible tells believers, neither give place to the devil. That word place means a space, a dwelling. Room for the devil to operate in your life. Neither give place to the devil. And I did, I violated that scripture. I was giving place to the devil. I wasn't indwelt by an evil spirit, but I was harassed. I had a familiar spirit now that was harassing me. It left me alone for a while until I got serious about my Bible. And investing it in the lives of people, and then all hell broke loose. And I thought I finally go to my pastor, and I'm like, I, you know, I, I don't think I can go on this mission trip. And he helped me to learn how to stand against the enemy. He, you know, one of the questions they asked me is, "What do you think? Why do you think it's messing with you?" And I said, "I'm pretty sure it wants to kill me." I'd be in the grip of this thing. We called it um, we called it the nightmare. I'd I'd lay down. Uh, and just get relaxed to go to sleep and immediately I'm paralyzed and I can not quite see it, uh, but I can feel it, this heavy oppression. and It's like I'm being electrocuted and, and this growling, this like, this, it's terrifying. And I didn't know what else to do. I was clueless. I didn't know what to do and I would just try to get my, my voice, I'd try to be able to just say the name, Je- if I could just say the name Jesus, Sometimes if I could just think it hard enough, the name of Jesus, it would let go. Like there's power in the name of Jesus. I knew that much. And it wasn't until I stood against the devil that he fled from me. Um, long story short, for the, here's the cliff notes on it. Uh, once I was full of faith in what the Bible said about my situation, I went home that night. Uh, whenever I laid down to go to sleep, I was immediately attacked by this familiar spirit. And for the first time in my life, I didn't freak out. I just prayed to the Lord for the first time in my life. God, I don't care what this turkey does. He's wasting his time. As long as I have breath, if you'll have me, I'll serve you, I'm your guy. (laughs) Whatever you want, however you want it, this dude can go to hell. And for the first time in my life, I just went to sleep. Slept like a baby, and that was the end of it. To this day, I've not had a problem with that turkey. Praise the Lord, there's power as a son of God, there's power in my relationship with the Lord. Man, tell the devil he's a liar. Stir up your gift and use it. There's power in the name of Jesus. Peter answers them in chapter three. Or I mean, P- Peter answers them in chapter four. The account in chapter three is very insightful. This lame man wants a gift. Peter says, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And, leap, and he leaping up stood and walked and entered with them into the temple walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Never forget who you are and what power, right? What you have in the power of Jesus. In the, in the spirit of Jesus. Here it is, the, the spirit of power. Notice what you have when God gives his spirit to you. It's a spirit of power. He says as much to the disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse eight. But ye shall receive power, how, when? After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. What will you do? Well, you'll stir up that gift and you're gonna lay down your life preaching the gospel to the world. Acts chapter 1, verse eight. It's a spirit of love. First John chapter four, verse 10. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us, and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us, because he hath given us of his spirit. The proof is in the sanctified pudding right we say you know what does that even mean the proof's in the pudding eat it you'll see right it's good you got the holy spirit of god in your life man you got the love of god in your life and you're able to love others the proof of who god is is manifest in you 1 john 4:17 herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is so are we in the world Look at this promise, verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect fear. But perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Here's the answer. Love God, don't fear men. We love Him because He first loved us. Do you have that? Do you have the love of God? Do you know the love of God? Are you able to express, are you able to live the love of God? Can't do it without God's Spirit. Romans 5:5 5, 5, The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. Love is the key to our mission. We already saw in 1 John 4 that it's the key to the judgment seat of Christ. John 13 verse 34, a new commandment I give unto you that ye love one another as I have loved you that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if ye have love one to another. Man, our love for one another is manifest proof to the lost. It's proof that what we have with God is legit. Man, when the lost world comes into this church, they ought to see us loving on one another. We need to practice that more, don't we? Man, you ought to just take let's let's do a little workshop right now, okay? Yeah, just ought to look at the person close to you. Pick one. Pick your favorite. No, don't do that. <laughs> just tell them, "Man, I love you." I love you. Some of you, you're like, oh, I'm super uncomfortable right now. It, sometimes it's tough to receive love, isn't it? God loves you and you're not gonna receive that love? I mean, how do we know that God loves us? Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Some of you, you you need to just give up. You need to quit and just let God love you. You need to receive the love of God. It's tough for you to love other people because you have a tough time believing that God loves you. And the proof is Calvary. Yes, he loves you. He loves you with his life. He loves you without reservation. God loves you. Well, I'm kind of a jerk. I don't see how I could. Look at Calvary. He died for you, you jerk. That's the proof. He loves you. You ought to believe it. You ought to receive it. If you do, you can't help but show it. And you're going to be all the time looking for opportunities to make sure that people know you love them and God loves them. Our love is proof, it's manifest proof to the lost. We looked at a similar principle last Tuesday. If you weren't here, you can check out the notes on that online. First Corinthians 14 says, if all prophesy, if everybody's preaching the word, and there come in one that believeth not, nor one unlearned, he is convinced of all, he is judged of all, and thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest, and so falling down on his face, he will worship God. Man, these people are all about the book. It's real in their lives. I'm, I don't have what they have, and they fall down and they worship. Well, the same thing's true of our love. If they see the real love of God in our life, we will be fruitful. It'd be nothing to win 300 people to Christ and baptize them and disciple them. It's a spirit of a sound mind. You know, when you're following the right spirit, look what happens. Luke chapter eight, verse 35. They went out to see what was done and came to Jesus and found the man of whom the devils were departed. So the wrong spirits leave, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. <laughs> and instead of rejoicing, they were afraid. This guy's supposed to be crazy. Some of you, you're crazy. Why? Because you're, you're listening to, you're following the wrong spirit. The spirit that God give you is not the spirit of cray-cray. Right, it's a spirit of a sound mind. I mean, consider Ephesians 5, right? Be not drunk with wine. Instead, what's the command? Be filled with the spirit. Why? What will come out of you? You will live Christ. He says the same thing to the church in Colossians in chapter 3, verse 16. And instead of saying be filled with the spirit, he says let the word of Christ dwell, uh, uh, d- richly dwell in you or dwell in you richly. And what comes out of the Christian life? It's the exact same thing. You live Christ, the word of Christ comes out of you. So following and being filled with the right spirit means you're thinking right, why? Because you're studying right, you're reading right, you're speaking right, you're in the word of God. So praise God, isn't it good to know there are no loonies in the body of Christ? It's tough to amen that one because everybody knows one. (laughs) Right? I mean I wish it were true, I wish there were no, I wish there were no loonies, you can whisper to your neighbor, I know the pastor's not talking about me. I mean, there's so many oddballs in the church that do strange and sometimes wicked things, confusing things, and then they blame their sin on God, they blame it on this church, they blame it on the Bible, I mean, it's bizarre. We have a saying, this guy, he's messed in the head. And that's true, he's messed with sin, but the problem is he's following the wrong spirit. The Bible tells us to, to try the spirits. Not every spirit that's trying to work with you is actually on a mission from God. Try the spirits. You want to have the right mind? Look at, second, look at Philippians chapter two. Go ahead and turn there. Philippians chapter two. You want to have a right mind? Here it is. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Here's how the Holy Spirit will lead you to make this mind, his mind, your mind, And then keep it in check, here it is. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. The believer doesn't worry about things. You waste your time worrying. You just give them to the Lord. You say, that's tough. Keep giving it to the Lord in prayer until you're unburdened. Stop worrying about it. Why? Because God cares for you. He's gonna take care of it. You've got a really tough daddy. He takes care of everything. See these spoiled kids running around, daddy just takes care of everything, cleaning up their messes. Thank God, thank God for mine. I got a really good dad. He cares for me. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, think right. Whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, a lot of the guys right now just thought of their crush. Ah, we're, keep it in the Bible, boys. Okay, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. One of the reasons so many Christians get so anxious with worry or they get so entrapped so quickly in sin is we're just dwelling on the wrong things. We're worrying about the wrong things. If we just put our mind on Christ, we put our mind on his word, on the things of God, there'd be joy, there'd be boldness, there'd be love, there'd be strength, there'd be a shield of faith to combat the arrows of fear. So I'd like to close with this, here's the danger. Some of you, you're gonna get to the judgment seat of Christ and you're gonna find out that you are gifted to turn the world upside down for the Lord. A lot of Christians are going to get to the judgment seat of Christ and find out they lived their whole life thinking that they were a nobody. And so they better just shut up, be quiet, and just sit there, throw in a dollar every once in a while. (laughs) But you just, you know, attend a few services and then live your life the best you can. And then you get to heaven and you find out that you were actually gifted to rock the nations for the glory of Christ. How? God wanted to use you to win one soul at a time and disciple them to go do the same. You were gifted for that. And because you didn't, right, because you didn't use your gift, you let your gifting grow still and stagnant, you're fruitless at the judgment seat. Can I just tell you, if you in faith will stir up your gift, use it. God will use that gift that he gave you to bring glory to his name. You will be a part, you will be a help, winning souls, making disciples, Training and equipping people so that ministry can multiply around the world. God wants to use you to be a part of that. So many Christians are depressed. They're just going through life. Yeah, I know God loves me. I know I love God and all that, but I just, I can't figure out why I'm depressed, said the the holder of stagnant waters, right? Stagnant gifting. Stir up the gift. You were made to engage who God made you, how he made you, the way he gifted you. The only way that you're gonna be completely fulfilled is that you're operating in line with the design parameters, right? The way that God designed you, you have to operate in line with that. I don't care how nice your car is, if you take it out on the water and go boating, you're gonna sink. It's just not made for that. Some are afraid, some are afraid to engage. Brothers and sisters, that is wicked unbelief Do you believe God or not? Some of you need to make the decision, I'm done with fear. I'm done listening to fear. I'm gonna start listening to the word. I'm gonna repent and I'm gonna engage. I'm gonna start serving with this local church in faith. Is this making sense, brothers and sisters? Lord, help us. Father, we come to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, we wanna be a people that absolutely 100% believe that you're you're at work in our lives, you're at work in our hearts, our minds, and our lives, and you wanna use them for your glory. And so, Lord, there are some here today that do not know Christ as Lord and Savior. They don't have the gift of salvation. They don't have the gift of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. God, please, today, pour out your Spirit on them in conviction, bind the lies of the enemy that says they can take care of this later because they want to do what they want to do today. God, help them to see that today is the day of salvation. Lord, for those who are believers, who have not been stirring up their gift, they're not engaging in service to you. They're not engaging to invest your word into the lives and hearts of people. God, I pray that today would be a day of repentance. Lord, some may be confused. Maybe some are dealing with a wrong spirit, and they need to be delivered. They need to know how to stand they, know how, they need to know how to resist the devil. God, whatever that is, maybe they need prayer or counseling. Lord, have your way with each of us, every heart, every life for your glory. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.